This podcast is brought to you by Labyrinth Marketing, an award-winning strategic marketing and capability consultancy passionate about step change in the growth of brands and agencies by setting long-term strategy and supporting empowering the people behind the brands and business to bring these plans to life through capability programs, training, coaching, mentoring, and providing extra resource. Hello and welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is a technical skill, but also a soft skill. We're going to be discussing agency partnerships. Before I welcome today's guest, Gareth Turner, onto the podcast, let me just tell you why I believe this to be so important. The role that our relationships with our agency partners has changed to be exactly that, a partnership. We can no longer afford to just use our agencies as a service provider. In light of our increasing breadth of roles, We really need our agency partners to be an extension of our team, where we're sharing joint commercial accountability, sharing goals and brand objectives. Due to the increasing breadth of our roles with increased commercial responsibility, developing products and services, bringing them to market, comms is no longer the focus of our roles and therefore we need our agency partners to really be that strategic partner. I'm passionate about agencies levelling up to become that strategic partner by developing and being part of developing the long-term strategic agenda, but also helping the marketeers on that quest to deliver those commercial goals by allowing us to jointly develop creative and communication work that allows us to ladder up to those goals and deliver the brand and consumer change that we need to do so for our brands and for our business. I'm so passionate about it that I do work on both sides of the fence, both training client-side marketeers in better briefing and agency management, but also on levelling up agencies as well, being able to be that strategic partner, allowing agencies to deliver strategies, proposals, respond to briefs that all meet those strategic needs of that brand or business, and also ensure that all that activity is going to deliver both short and long-term growth for the brand or business through KPIs and calculating ROI and so much more. Today's guest is Gareth Turner, He's head of marketing at Weetabix Food Group, overseeing the long-term brand strategy for the nation's favourite cereal, Weetabix, and its wider portfolio. Gareth has over 23 years' experience working within food and drink and has the pleasure of leading the marketing for many household brands that include John Smith, Bulmers, Lurpak and Arla in both local and global roles. He's now head of marketing at Weetabix, where he's worked since June 2019, and he's passionate about working in brand-led organisations with a long-term strategic approach to brand building mixed with a good dash of bravery. His career highlights include buying a racehorse for John Smith's, new product launches like Bulmer's Fruit Ciders, and recently negotiated the partnership between the FA and Weetabix. And in 2021, Gareth's team unleashed the multi-award-winning Beans on Bix on the world and broke the internet in the process. Gareth has previously contributed to Marketing Week and frequently shares his marketing perspectives on LinkedIn and in his email newsletter. Subjects he is especially passionate about include the benefits of productive, more respectful relationships between agencies and clients and how to enable bolder marketing in your business. Gareth, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. As always on the podcast, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what are agency partnerships to you? I think they're exactly that. They're partnerships. I think there were the clues in, in the question there. So that's not a slave. That's not servitude. 
It's a partnership, a partnership of equals. It's essential for brand marketeers. We need experts to do the stuff that we can't do. I can help conduct the orchestra. I'm like a conductor, I see, in my role. But I need the musicians, the experts, to be able to play the right notes, the right instruments, to do the stuff that I can't do. And they're essential to business. So we need outside-in perspectives, not only for brand marketing, but beyond that, we need inspiration from outside. And agencies, they should have deep relationships with many other organisations, so they should be able to bring inspiration into my business from outside. I suppose the final point to mention about what agency partnerships mean to me is that there should be a mutual understanding. A partnership is built of mutual understanding. There should be mutual shared objectives. That's what I expect from my agency partnerships. And for me, that shared objectives is really key. Mm. Long gone, or at least long gone, I hope, are those slave-servant relationships. And actually, in light of the changing roles that marketeers, client side, now have to play to lead that long-term commercial agenda, to write the long-term strategy, to develop the products and innovation, as well as what we historically used to do, which is comms and bring products and services to market, is we haven't got the scope to be able to be as close to the comms agencies as we potentially were. And therefore, we really do need our agencies to be a partner, to work as an extension of our team, and for everyone to really have the clarity about where the brand is going, to be part of that objective setting, to really be working towards delivering that objective together and celebrating in the success when we all do together. Indeed, I think the best agency partnerships that I've had, the all-agency group, there's been a strong all-agency group, whether I'm there or not. So because we've got these shared objectives, we all know what the business objectives are. They're able to work together to get a lot of the way there without me being there. And that's that's efficient for everybody. I think that's a really good proof point. When those wall agencies can run without you, you know, you've given the brief and then off they go to be able to develop that fully integrated omni-channel campaign to meet those objectives together without you. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot that goes into allowing them to be empowered to do that and I think potentially one of them is remuneration you know to be remunerated to be a partner and I think the other thing is clarity you know clarity the role that they play in the all agencies so they're not competing with one another exactly that I've made plenty of mistakes Abby over the many years of my career right but one of the biggest mistakes I made I thought it was the right thing to do but in an all agency group I was not clear about who was doing what I thought it would be I thought it would be a collaborative affair and everyone would work together and play nicely to divide the budget up between them. I gave them one number, what the big budget was going to be, and thought everyone knew their disciplines and there would be no land grabbing. And that wasn't how it worked. The following year, I had the same people, but we were very clear about, well, you're doing that, you're doing that, and you're doing that. And the budget associated with each of those things is X, Y, and Z. And then there's this thing here, which is up for grabs. So everyone had a very defined pot of the budget that they were going to, definitely going to get. And then there was one sort of bravery pot that, that was up for grabs. That worked much better. Everyone preferred the clarity and there was much less land grabbing. And people were then much more open with each other because they were in the previous year, they, no one wanted to share their ideas because they were all trying in competition. I'd set up competition when it shouldn't have been a, a competitive situation. 
and Gareth I've made exactly the same mistake as well. <laughs> Glad I'm not alone. No, you're not alone. I think sometimes the lack of appreciation for how it works in agencies mm-hmm. means that that does happen. The, the lack of understanding about, you know, remunerating and making sure that that account team that you want to work with are retained to be there and that then, you know, although there are times in the scenarios where project by project works, and I have also run those historically, I do think if you want to make an all agency work like that, the clarity of roles and, you know, I'm really thinking back to kind of the times of digital as well, when, you know, you still had a digital agency, but maybe the owned, earned and paid weren't as clear. And that became land grabbing as well. Everyone was trying to claw a piece of that. And actually, once you got clear on who was doing which bit and which bit of the journey and who's got which budget, it does, as you say, mean that everyone has the clarity to work more collaboratively. Yeah. And people that feel safe people feel protected not only are they pitching fighting for increased budget but actually there was an element that they're going to lose some stuff as well and that just didn't set up a good environment so you know, there's a i'm sure we'll touch on this later on about a safety that's required if you want to get to great work people need to feel safe in bringing you that work and speaking openly you know, without fear of failure without fear of making mistakes without fear of criticism that works for an agency relationship as much as it does for working with your team it's a really good point as well, Gareth, what you're talking there around that fear of failure and there's never a mistake, only a learning. I think the only way that I can think of right now that you would be able to allocate your budget across either agencies or platform type or however you've divvied it up is with the learning. It's with the learning that historically has worked for your brand or business. Otherwise, it does put one budget and you don't know how to divide it up. And I think that's one of many reasons why having measurement in place is so key facing into the budget so how many times i was with a, an agency yesterday and we were talking about in, in general terms what goes into briefs what the clients often miss out what box they leave tbc in and <laughs> almost always is budget people are too scared to say it out loud what their budget is and it's just maybe we're very british it's a very difficult thing for people to talk about so we need to grow up a little bit and just be honest about the budget that's available there's no people can say yes to it and people can say no to it let's not be be scared about that I completely agree and I think that was one of the biggest shifts if I think back to how I was working with agencies earlier on in my career it was very much as you say don't share your budget you know the procurement mm. person in turn was like don't share your budget they'll work to budget <laughs> they'll present back ideas that utilize all the budget in reality, once you actually have worked with agencies and realise the amount of rigour that goes into the thinking to make sure that the budget you have delivers as close to the objectives that you have set, they need that clarity. Otherwise, they can't recommend the right channels to have the right reach, yeah. to have the right level of conversion to make the results that you need. So, yeah, I think sharing your commercial performance and mm. results and P&L and the profit you make and all of those things. You know, I always say share with your agencies anything that you would share with anyone in your team. Yeah, we've all got NDAs in place. You should have an NDA in place. If you haven't, that's uh, that's tip number one, right? Get to protect yourselves with a contract and an NDA. But absolutely, why wouldn't you share that information so that people understand where you make your money, understand what the profitable SKUs are in your business, what the profitable customers are in your business, so they can recommend the right things, the right course of action. It surprises me that there isn't that level of mutual understanding. That goes for clients understanding where the money's made in the agencies, There's a mutual respect, a mutual understanding that's important. That's really true. I work with many agencies and they often say, but the client won't give me the figures, so I can't calculate the ROI. 
as you say, nothing but an MDA that's stopping you from Mm. allowing you to have that level of information and actually to take one more thing off their plate and also to show that you are also on the journey to help delivering the commercial success because you're choosing the right course of action that's going to deliver those results. Mm -hmm. Finance and profit is the language of the boardroom, right? So if if you're not as an agency and a, and a client you know, within your business, if you're not speaking the language of the boardroom, you're missing a trick. That's ultimately what we're in business to do is to make money for the shareholders, whoever they might be. So everything we do should be looking to grow the profit of the business. I couldn't agree more. So Gareth, what advice would you give to the marketers who are listening on how to build those strong agency partnerships? Truth is, I can't say that I've got it right all the time. When you put this out, I reckon you'll be inundated with agencies calling me a hypocrite. So rather than just trust what I'm saying, last year I did some research. I had 75 agency and brand leaders answered four questions about their best and worst client agency relationships. I'm happy to share a link so you can put them in the program notes if you want to find out more about that. But there were five themes that emerged from that as potentially great starting points when we're looking at ways to build strong relationships. And we've already mentioned some of these, right? There's mutual understanding. That was the top mention in that research, that over 40% of people who replied mentioned it in some way. So that's about understanding my business, understanding me, what are my aspirations, what are my objectives, how many agencies ask their clients, well, what's your objective? I have seven objectives. The first one is around profit and volume, etc. That's most people's, I'd imagine, is something similar. But does everyone know what my other six are? So we can share those. We can ask to share our own ones. That goes for the agency as well. And there are personal objectives as well. I think that we can do more about understanding each other. The second theme was around challenge. A quarter of clients said they wanted more challenge from their agencies. But an interesting stat is that 44% of agencies said that there was a lack of respect in their worst relationships. So you put those two things together, I want more challenge, but 44% of agencies say, I don't feel respected. Well, there's why you're not getting the challenge because people, you, mm. you don't respect you're not One hasn't created an environment where it's safe. It's no surprise that agencies aren't challenging you if you're not treating them with respect. There were some quotes in the research about, I don't feel treated like a human. How's that a thing? That's ridiculous. So we have to, as a group, as a, as a partnership, we have to create a safe environment for challenge to happen. We have to have high support. We have to make that challenge feel less daunting for agency partners and for colleagues. So when someone brings something to us, we should be looking more, yeah, is that interesting? And start with a positive affirmation. Yes, we could do that if. And no one's coming to work to do rubbish work. No one's coming to deliberately bring rubbish ideas. So at some point, that person's thought that idea is a good idea. So let's treat it with some respect. Challenges up there, lack of time. Mm. So there are, you know, that's a lack of time for responses, a lack of time for briefing. I'll come on to briefing in a minute, right? That's that's a big thing. <laughs> but it feels that, that, that time is a constraining force in relationships. So how do we create more time? How do we make sure we're dedicating the right amount of time to collaborate on a brief? Or are we simply emailing something over to an agency and expecting great work in double quick time? Again, I, I'm not sure I'm entirely exaggerating there. So time is an important thing. Brief, the most important document that we work with is the brief. And you will have seen, Abby, I'm sure, the the Better Briefs Project research. Brilliant piece of research, but my findings in a slightly less robust way are finding the same thing. For me, 35% of the people 
I asked, mentioned a poor brief as the reason behind the worst relationships. And there's a the Better Briefs project has a similar set of data, but an interesting one from them was that they say, when they asked marketeers who you write a good brief, and 80% of marketeers say, yeah, my briefs are pretty good. 10% of agencies said that their clients' briefs were any good. So there's a massive disconnect there. And that brings us back to challenge and creating the right environment. If 90% of agencies believe that the brief isn't up to scratch, what are they doing to correct that? How are they changing that dynamic? Because it's incumbent on all of us to collaborate to make a brief that we're all happy with. The last theme that emerged was around stakeholdering. And that's a real challenge for both sides of the relationship. In my research, 21% of agencies said that bucket of stakeholders was a reason for their worst relationships. And that Better Briefs project said that 50% of briefs were being signed off by the wrong people. Mm. So there's this idea of you have to be in at the start to bin at the end. And how many times have all of us experienced, whether you're a client or an agency, a previously unseen face coming into that process to have a new opinion on something at a point which is at best unhelpful. That's equally frustrating for both sides. So the best agencies I've worked with have helped me to navigate that. They've helped me when I was less experienced to say, look, Gareth, my experience is telling me that this sort of person, the managing director, the marketing director is going to want to be involved in this and you haven't got him in at the moment. So you make sure that they're involved. And here's how you might want to do that. They've they've helped me. They've become an ally that we've stood shoulder to shoulder in that rather than becoming confrontational later in the process. I think that's a really good point. And yeah, we've all been on that when so far down the process, we're about to sign something off. We've got our, what we believe to be consolidated feedback to present back, to make those final amends. And as you say, a new face comes into the mix. And it is hard. It is hard to navigate both for the person who's leading the project, but also for the agencies to understand the impact and how hard it is for us as the client-side marketers to navigate. Mm. That's your point on the brief. And I see this from both sides, training marketers on how to write briefs and not just write briefs, agency management, and also working with agencies in responding to briefs. Mm. And briefs are not good. You know, let's just call it out. They are not where they could be. And the biggest things that I see that need to be improved in briefs are the clarity on movement required. (laughs) I see too often the client-side marketeers simply copying and pasting their annual target or their three-year target and dropping it into the brief and not actually calling out the role that this piece of work has to play in delivering that, not also calling out the other pieces of work that may not be comms-related that are contributing to that growth and giving that level of clarity. And also briefs that don't give that broader context as well, that don't give that outward in story about what is happening in the business, how they've arrived at this point, what is about to happen. Because I think there's an assumption that's made that the same people are always going to work on exactly the same account. And that's not always the case. So take them on the journey. Definitely the point around, tell us what's worked well historically. So we're not reinventing the wheel. You know, I see so much work presented and the client goes, oh, we've done that or we've done that before and it didn't work. So why didn't you tell them? (laughs) Sharing the budget, sharing the KPIs, sharing as much consumer or customer insight as possible that they have. I reflect back those brief that sticks out to me that we wrote is the in the most collaborative way as the be- probably the best process that I've been involved with. That was a all agency meeting. We had the insight director from internally, the marketing director, myself. We had all the right people, the brand director. Everyone was in the room 
who needed to be there. It was a, it's a long time ago. It's it probably the, either one or two days, maybe sort of a day and a half. And we went through, interrogated everything. We shared all of the information we presented, the right person presented it, and then we broke out and condensed it and chose the right bits for that brief. And we refined and refined and refined. And together, we had all the right brains in the room, and together we came up with a killer brief, if I say so myself. It was, it's not my work, it was a collaborative piece of work that gave us just what we needed in the brief, but we'd all had the context, we'd all been mm. on that journey, we'd all challenged every word in it, and we got to a place where... We all put our thumbprints on it. We all accepted that as this is now our contract. This is what we're going to deliver. And the word contract for me is really key there because I also see the brief as a contract. So to your point, it's unlikely when providing a contract to someone, they just sign it and return it. Hmm. When you are then reviewing any future work that comes back, are going, is this meeting the brief? That brief, that contract is what you need to refer back to. You may have some, of course, personal thoughts about gutturally is this right for me and the brand and the journey that I want to take it on or how well will this be perceived by my customer or consumers but realistically it all needs to come back to is this going to deliver the movement that we want that we have outlined in the brief and I would always say you know you go with into your point that draft brief or that draft contract Mm. and everyone reviews it together and is it realistic is it possible given the budgets, given the constraints, given the level of movement that we need to make on perception or penetration or frequency or market share or, you know, whatever our measure is in the market that we are in with the budget that we have, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that's done enough. And I also think too many briefs are not delivered in a way that's inspirational. And what I will often say is, if you're not passionate about this brief, why should anybody else be? Two points come to mind there. One is when you're seeing the work and you you get that response, I think the other tip from me is about not being afraid to go back to the brief. So you see a piece of work and you go, okay, well, this doesn't feel right somehow. And maybe you go again, you you refine it and yet still not feeling right. Well, let's go back to the brief. Did we get the brief right? The work could be absolutely responding to that brief, but let's not be so proud that we don't go back and check that we haven't made a mistake in the brief. Because I suspect more than not that that's where the issue lies i think not enough of us actually go back to the brief even once we've signed that contract you know Mm. you can still have amendments to that contract or you can have a whole new contract yeah i think that's something that to your point that we don't often go back and do yeah absolutely and back to your point about delivery i totally agree it's the same with many things if you're trying to get something through a business or trying to inspire other people i think there's a scene in spinal tap isn't there where they they turn the speakers up to an 11 rather than the 10 right if you can't dial your enthusiasm up for this project to an 11 because other people it's like a by series of passing these messages on and on and on eventually it gets watered down and watered down and eventually it it might end up at a, a five or something when when people three or four places removed from you start to talk about this project but if you're starting from a high point then you've got half a chance of them still talking with some enthusiasm when they're onward briefing. That's a really good piece of advice. So we've talked about creating a safe environment, one with trust, one with challenge, one with support. What other skills and behaviours do you believe that we as marketers need to possess to do this well? There are loads of technical skills that we've talked about, brief writing, assessing creative, media planning and things like that. I mean, I've been hugely fortunate to work in big blue chip organisations where I've had that training but i think there's less training on the softer personal leadership skills that are important for marketeers and perhaps i'll highlight a few of those for now i think 
one would be vision and the ability to bring other people with you. I think there's a famous, I think it's Wayne Gretzky, famous ice hockey player, saying that something like great ice hockey players skate to where the puck is going to be rather than where it is. And our job is to do the same in our categories. Our job is to set the vision of where that puck, where business needs to be, and then take that vision and inspire people and bring them along on the journey with it. That's a key skill to get people to want to follow you, to see the the same vision that you see. But then the, the flip side of that is that we need to be resilient. So I think that's a very underrated skill. If you're pushing hard, there's going to be setbacks along the way. That's inevitable. So it's so important to be resilient. And that's something that, if I'm being honest, I've only recently developed that myself. I, I wouldn't say I am resilient, but I'm definitely more resilient than I was two years ago. And I did that by looking at what elites sports people do I'm making this up here right but if Rafa Nadal is puts his first return at Wimbledon in the final back into the net I'm sure it's only human to start to doubt oneself and think oh blimey you know this could go the wrong way here well they have resilience to in front of millions of people pick themselves up and keep going they keep themselves in the game that's a it's a big skill what else we talked about commercial now so that finance being the language of the boardroom I think that's important for both agency side and client side to understand that. I think there's need for curiosity and understanding other people's views, understanding what drives your business, what drives your agency's business, your partner's business, what motivates consumers, etc., and what motivates yourself to, to grow personally. And then maybe the last thing to mention is, it's slightly boring, but just ninja level project management. I think the best marketeers are incredible project managers they are able to deliver results through others who may not report into them they are able to inspire those people to go the extra yards to invest discretionary effort invest their thinking time in the shower into their projects rather than any of the other projects they might be working on those i don't know five or so behaviors i think are the softer skills that no one really gets well i haven't had any formal training on those over the years and that's something that perhaps may have helped me progress quicker if I'd had that training earlier. Well, I'm glad that you just said that, Gareth, personally, because four out of those five skills are in the whole marketer book. <laughs> Boom, there you go. Boom. Available in all good bookshops. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth, as we've mentioned, you know, you've worked on many household brands that you've had the honour of working with and helping grow. What would you say are your career highs and lows? Well, I do feel honoured to have worked on these brands. I'm a custodian of those brands in the grand scheme of things. I've, and I've got a few things that have been big highs for me. The Bulmer's repositioning work that I did a long time ago now, that created a framework that allowed that brand to stretch beyond apple and pear ciders into other fruit ciders for the first time. And that I still see that work being executed in store now. So that's gratifying. That's a nice one to have on a CV. And that certainly made Heineken a lot of money. There was a Arla global brand development project that I worked on. I, I left just as that was landing in a variety of different markets. So numerous brands, dozens of brands in half a dozen or so markets, a very complex communications project. But I believe that that saw a 30% increase in the effectiveness of their advertising. That was a tough gig, bringing some consistency to a disparate set of sub-brands and markets and 
removing some of the creative freedom from individual brand managers that's a that's a tough gig right but that mm. has definitely worked for them and the work we're doing at Weetabix right now it's rare to me anyway that you look at the work you're doing now and go oh this is good <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's often you look back and go oh that was good but right now I've just got an incredible team around me. We're delivering best-in-class ROI advertising at the moment. Amazing return on investment. We've got a proper, robust test-and-learn approach to marketing. We've got brave, bold social media comms, that, you know, which led to that Beans on Bix thing we did a year or so ago. We've got gold standard in-store activation, the, the football activity we did last summer to combine with the Euros, the men's Euros, has seen, we put all that together, this has seen a dramatic transformation in, in brand performance. So I'm incredibly proud of the team I'm working in and, and the work we're doing right now. So yeah, I've, I've had, I've been lucky, right? I've had a lot of highs with relatively famous campaigns. And those lows? Uh, I thought if I thought if I ignored the question, maybe you won't ask me. I'm always like on the edge, right? I'm always a roller coaster of emotion. Highs are only good, right? Because I've got I've had so many lows. So I think it'd be easy to give any campaign or activation examples that haven't performed quite as well. But if I'm showing a bit of vulnerability here and showing and being absolutely true to myself, the real lows are when I'm not growing in the way that I hoped in a in a role. Mm. And in the past, I've been super frustrated with slower than anticipated career progression or when I've not got a project that I really believed in and I was invested in, haven't got that away as quickly as I would have wanted. And the truth is there have been a couple of times when I've missed out on a promotion that I genuinely felt I deserved. Someone else got that, or I've had some feedback in an annual review that was a bit of a blind spot. And those are the lows that challenge me to the core. They rock me the most. And I find those the hardest to come back from. But once I've gone home or gone downstairs in the current climate right but once I've, I've gone downstairs and had a bit of a moan about it to my partner and had a couple of sleeps and give himself a stiff t- talking to in the mirror i come to terms with it and I can choose to fight or flight right and I mm-hmm. come back determined and I come back stronger and more resilient I go no I am a, I am good at what I do that was a thing I can kind of see what they're saying sometimes I don't agree with what they're saying and I choose to ignore that I think that resilience has come through age and it's come through bitter experience. It's come through this self-development I've done in the last couple of years. I know a lot of people listening to that will be thinking, yeah, that happened to me. Yeah, I massively relate with that, especially that feedback that we get in our 360 reviews. Mm. You know, they can be things that blindside us. And they do take, as you say, a few sleeps and a talk with someone else to process. But I think the point that you made there is really important is to take on board those areas that you maybe weren't aware of and that you do want to develop, but also those that you don't, because at the end of the day, it is your life and your career. And, you know, taking the reins of it and the ownership of it and doing the personal development, as you just said, is only going to make us stronger and only going to build those level of resilience that we need in our challenging yet rewarding profession. So thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast. We always finish the podcast with the following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? Well, again, I was anticipating this one. That's a standard line, right? So (laughs) it is indeed. I think this is a case of do as I say, not as I do, right? So 
if I could give myself a piece of advice when I started out, it would have been to have built my resilience earlier, to really focus on that. Build your resilience and self-belief. Marketeers are agents of change. Our job is to see stuff that's on the horizon before other people in the business have seen them. So if you're not pushing up against boundaries, if you're not meeting resistance, you're just not pushing hard enough. You're settling with the status quo. So that makes it hard for us as marketeers because people generally push back on those. People will resist stuff that is difficult to do, that isn't just what they've been doing previously. Those people find it hard when you bring new ideas to them. It's easier for them to say no. But our job is to somehow be resilient enough and have enough belief in our own ability and not let it challenge our self-worth. I've put those two things together in the past. Someone says no to an idea that I have, I've then assumed that they think I'm a rubbish marketeer or a rubbish person. Well, that's not true. So finding that resilience, that inner strength to keep pushing, that would be the, the piece of advice I'd give myself. Do that earlier and I'd give that piece of advice to marketeers of tomorrow. Amazing, Gareth. And thank you so much for your time today. No problem. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk. Thank you.